And welcome back to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where Dan Delzell and myself, Son Edom, talk about the issues that go on in this world through a biblical perspective. And Dan, we uh, last conversation, we had a a talk about Reformation Sunday, the Reformation, what Martin Luther did, the 95 Theses on the church, and how it kind of started this, this change in Christianity, this change in the Catholic Church. And so I... I know there's an article that you recently wrote about, you know, Catholics and Protestants, because it's kind of interesting because a lot of people will sit there and say that, you know, the Catholic faith is a Christian faith. Um, There's a lot of people that think a religion like maybe Scientology or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness might be a Christian faith. But when you really look to the Reformation and you look at Catholicism and Protestantism, under the umbrella of Christianity, there really is a, a significant difference between the two when it comes to the you know theology of it. Maybe on the surface level, there might be a lot of similarities, and you might hear a lot of the same things if you went, attended a mass or a you know a Sunday service at a Protestant church. And so I thought that you know the the article that you wrote about a proposal for Catholics and Protestants could be something that we kind of address to kind of look into and further the conversation of what Martin Luther did when he tacked on those 95 theses on the church that kind of were the 95 things that he disagreed with with the Catholic Church that then really started the church, or at least the the branch of Christianity, going down the Protestant road. Yeah, absolutely, Son. It was uh, such a such an important time in the history of the Christian Church, and as you say, um, the Lord was really showing Martin Luther um, what the gospel was all about. You know, of course, Luther had been raised in the Catholic Church. Um, he had not known the gospel. He was not given that message, and and yet he came to discover that message. And and so um, what we find today is, is quite interesting in that uh, I'm sure many Christians— um, know people um, who, for example, are Catholic, and um, you know the Catholic Church has come a long way in terms of uh, you know more Catholics are, are reading the Bible, being encouraged to read the Bible. Um, you know, it, it's not as simple as well. This person's a Protestant or a Methodist or a Lutheran, or this person's a Catholic. Um, I mean, we 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 know many times maybe what their denomination or what their church teaches. But until you talk to someone, um, you, you may not really know what they believe because there are so many avenues and, and things available today whereby people can, can learn about the Bible and, and hear the truth. You know, I've mentioned that, you know, my mom's in a Bible study with a number of, of Catholic women that she has worked with over the years. She just retired not uh, too long ago from uh, almost 40 years in real estate, but, uh, you know, I've known Catholic people, as I know you have, son, and and, and so um, you know we, we we know the the issues that Martin Luther had back in the day, 500 years ago, and the Catholic Church selling indulgences, um, and and we also know that there are a lot of issues that are are very different between, uh, you know, your, your Protestant or even your evangelical churches and, and, and the Catholic church. But when all is said and done, um, and that's why I, I wrote that article that posted yesterday, um, you know, a proposal for Catholics and Protestants. Um, it was really something, Son, that uh, echoed something I wrote four years ago on Reformation Day, where I just simply um, invited people to think about just three simple points. Um, you know, the first one, of course, John three sixteen. you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, the second point being faith without works is dead, as it says in James. And, and then I just mentioned that, you know, an apple tree produces apples and, and, and Jesus produces good fruit in the life of every believer. Uh, and, and then the, the, the third point is I, um, I just refer to the thief on the cross who came to faith there in the Lord on the cross. Uh, he, he asked the Lord to remember him. And, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
And, and so I asked the question or I posed the, the point that that thief right there, um, his faith was alive. Um, you know, Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. So he was saved, redeemed, forgiven, justified, and born again there on the cross. And so I present that point, and then I encourage um, the readers, um, any Catholic readers, to ask their priest, any Protestant readers to ask their pastor, um, you know, just to consider those three points. And, and do you agree with it? Or do you disagree with any of it? If so, what do you disagree with? Um, because, you know, when all is said and done, the foundation of the Christian faith is what really what the Reformation was largely about. I mean, yes, it was about the Bible, and, 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 and the Bible uh, is always our authority, way, way higher than, than, you know, any tradition, although like in the Catholic Church, it tends to be, they put a lot of weight into tradition. So part of the Protestant Reformation was, um, you know, Scripture alone, uh, sola scriptura. Um, but another aspect of the, of the Reformation was by faith alone, uh, sola fide. And, and Luther came to see that we're saved by faith, but also uh, grace alone. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And, and so um, that, that's really what the Reformation is about. And, and Luther discovered that. And I think today it's important for, you know, Catholics, uh, Protestants, anybody to, to really think about that um, as they consider, Hey, am I, am I a Christian? And, um, and, you know, am I trusting in Christ alone? You know, Dan, there's uh people call themselves, you know, whether it's Catholic or Christian or Protestant or Calvinist. The only thing that really matters is, is first off, you might look at that kind of label, you know, Lutheran, like Martin Luther was, or Calvin, or Baptist, or, you know, Catholic, okay? And so then all of a sudden there, there seems to be this um, kind of, I don't want to say stereotype, but this kind of preconceived notion of what their theology might be like, because a lot of people have a, a doctrine in which they believe. And so when you yeah. hear someone who says they're a Baptist, you kind of get an understanding of what they might believe. Or a Catholic, you might have an understanding of what they might believe. But when it really comes down to it, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. The only thing that matters is if you're following biblical principles. Because if you're a Catholic and you're following the biblical principles to the T, then you're probably saved and going to heaven. If you're a Baptist and you're not following any biblical principles, but you call yourself a Baptist, well, chances are you might have a, a hard time on uh, the second coming when you stand before God on Judgment Day. It just depends, you know, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. It depends on what your heart is and what you're believing as far as biblical principles go. And so um, when you talk about God loving the world on your first point, that he gave his only son to save us, what would be the difference, I guess, when you were writing this for Catholics and Protestants. So if you were so if a Catholic was to ask their priest versus a Protestant asking their priest, what what might what might a difference we might get? Because again, even in the in the Protestant church, we've read and we've talked about that over the years. A lot of people, you know, we ask the question and we've seen articles and we've seen research where um, X amount of percent of people don't think Jesus is the only way anymore. X amount of people think that the Holy Spirit is just a symbol or is just a symbolic thing of God and not a part of the Trinity. So we're starting to see a lot of things, even in the so-called Christian church, the Protestant church, start to kind of fall apart in people's beliefs. So what might be something from that first point that you write, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What might differences might we see from maybe a Catholic priest versus a Protestant pastor? Well, you know, I think that's the exact point of why I wrote it, Psalm, because I wanted people to go and ask their priest and ask their pastor. You know, um, I think we would find some very interesting answers, you know, um, uh, we would not have the same answer from every Protestant pastor, uh, especially in today's uh, society with, with uh, you know, just how far people have gotten away from just the basic understanding of the gospel. And likewise, I don't think we would have the same answer, uh, you know, from, from Catholic priests. It would really depend on the individual. Um, you, you, you would find uh, some, I think, in both groups that you would find very troubling, um, and you would find some uh, that you would, you would agree with. So the 
the whole point of the exercise uh, was really to uh, have people find out what does your priest believe? Because at the end of the day, you know, if, let's just take a Catholic priest, for example, and, and any Catholic priest, any Protestant uh, pastor, um, at the end of the day, if um, if they both agree that, that John three sixteen uh, is the gospel and that we're, and that believing in Christ is what saves us, if they both believe that faith without works is is dead, that that you know a living faith like the thief on the cross had, um, as compared to a dead faith, which would be no faith at all, um, if they both agree with that, and, and if they both agree that the thief on the cross was justified and saved, they're right there on the cross, then that would sure seem to indicate that they are in agreement with with one another. And I think one of the problems, even back all the way back to Luther's day, is that um, you know, maybe maybe the, the church comes out with an official position, but uh that tends to then drive a lot of the dialogue. But really, um, you know, it, it's the people in the congregation, it, it's the it's the pastors and the priests who really should be having a much bigger say than um, than those out of town church leaders who are maybe, um, you know, who are maybe ha- carrying all the power and the weight. So I would I would think that um, the answer to that would really depend on the individual priest, individual pastor. And of course, the hope would be that that many many priests and many pastors would be able um, to accept the gospel and articulate it and believe it. Um, that would be the hope and the goal. And um, you know, I think it'd be a good conversation for people to have with their priest and, and to have with their pastor uh, because um, it would it might it might reveal some things that maybe that pastor needs to learn and that priest needs to learn um, and and so forth. So um, yeah, I would really just I think come down to those individual. Uh, conversations and discussions. So if I was to go to church on Sunday and ask my pastor the question, what would his response be? Well, well, uh, his response, uh, his response would be, uh, well, let me set, let me set, known, yeah, let me set the table because on Sunday I'll be going yeah. to your church. And so yeah. the question would be asking you and you wrote the article, but, um, yeah, but so a little, yeah. a little, uh, humor there, but no, when you, when yeah. you, when you yeah. talk about, I mean, we've talked about that. It's gotten to the point where, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter again. Like you said, whatever your label is or what you call yourself, because you could have different, um, responses shocking responses even coming from you know a a protestant church or a christian pastor because the way society has become um you know the other big the other big thing dan is that whole faith and works that seems to be like a real bugaboo when it comes to whether it's the protestant Mm -hmm. church or whether it's a catholic church they're just there just can't be because you know you're right faith without works is dead from james 2 26 and so You know, obviously it says there that with our faith, we're saved, but then through that, we're going to do works. The works won't save us, but we're going to want to do works like the apple tree. For an apple tree to be an apple tree, it has to produce apples. If it doesn't produce any fruit, then it's probably a dead tree um, or there's something wrong with it. So it's kind of faith and works are hand in hand, but the faith is the saving part. The works is the result of that. But a lot of people think that you get saved through works. And again, we're starting to see that. I know that's kind of a big tenant in the Catholic church, but we're starting to see that more and more in the Protestant church as well. There's real bugaboo with this faith and works thing. Yes. Yeah, no, that, that, that's for sure, son. And, and it's very important that we, we understand that, um, that the works that God accepts uh, are only acceptable after we've been justified, after we've been forgiven. Um, you know, uh, believers do good works because of the Lord in us. And and God creates those works in us. But we're not saved by those works. Um, they do not contribute to our salvation. You know, if we think about it like a house, um, the, the, the works, our works, do not add to the foundation of the house. They're all part of the structure of the house that God builds up on the foundation. Uh, now, now Jesus is our foundation, and right along with Jesus, in, in, in terms of an individual Christian, um, your justification is the foundation. Uh, the, when you were forgiven of your sins uh, through faith alone, that's when you were justified. And, and so it's very important that, that we, we, uh, 
We understand justification and sanctification, and and that and that sanctification is is the Christian life. Um, it will it will be there uh, in the life of every believer. Um, I mean, some some grow faster than others, uh, but it, but if a person is not is not growing at all in in their faith, then it does cause one to to ask. I mean, are, are we talking about someone who even has the foundation? Be, be, because um, you know, it'd be like with with uh, human life. I mean, if you have a baby who is sick, um, well, I mean, either that baby is alive, or has that baby reached the point where that baby's you know not alive? I mean, every person spiritually is is either alive or dead. Um, to become alive, um, you 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 need Christ. You need His forgiveness. And then once you're made alive, you know it says in Peter, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, so so that's the sanctification that goes on. But if we mess those up and and we try to be justified by even uh, partly by our works. Then we're messing with the foundation. And, and, you know, the Bible is very clear that if you try to add to what Jesus did, you know, he said on the cross, it is finished. Um, he completed everything that was necessary for any human being uh, to be accepted by God if they will, by faith, receive um, that payment for their sin that Jesus made. Uh, but, but if a person, you know, tries to go at it like they're going to they're going to work on that foundation themselves. Uh, they're going to try to add to what Jesus did or, or complete what Jesus did, then they're not yet justified because um, all who rely on observing the law, we're told in Galatians, are under a curse. And what that means is if you're trying to, you know, be be uh, accepted by God based on your works, then that that's relying on the law rather than on the gospel. So, so this is a very, very important distinction in the Bible, a very, very important distinction in the Christian life. And it would be a very important discussion between Christians, be they, you know, Catholic and Protestant, um, be they just, you know, believers in individual church or, or attenders of a church. It's very important that we understand uh, just these basics of, of the Christian life, uh, because without that, uh, it, it's I mean, how's a person going to have faith? How is a person going to know that they're that they're right with God? They're just going to assume what what man naturally assumes, son, which is, oh, you know, if I strive hard enough, if I'm religious enough, if I do enough good stuff, um, hopefully God will let me in the door at the end. And and that that view that mindset is, has nothing to do with Christianity whatsoever. You know, the other thing that's hard for people to really understand is that, you know, man is justified or saved on the front end of a relationship with God. And so when we look at society, first off, there's two things that when I read that, that I kind of find really interesting in today's society. One is, first off, we're an instant gratification society. We want everything now. We want everything now. We want everything now. You know, we want to, we hit social media. We want the likes now. If we uh, do something, we want the reward now. You know, want to get paid ahead of time. You know, you can get now your direct deposit if payday is on the 15th. You can now set it up or maybe get paid on the 12th or the 13th. You know, there's a lot of like now, now, now type stuff. And yet people don't understand that you're saved now. It's like you don't have to put in the work. You don't right. have to do all that right. to be saved now. You're saved now. So yeah. one would think that that would be an acceptable thing in today's narcissistic, immediate gratification, I want it now society. But it's also hard for people to understand that, wait, what? I don't have to do anything. I just have to believe. Yeah. I just have to have faith. I don't have to. I don't have to. Now, there's a difference between have to and want to. So there's a distinction. Mm -hmm. And people will want to once you're saved to do works or want to get baptized or want to partake in communion or want to help others or want to do all these things but there's not a have to in there once you're right put your faith in jesus for by grace you are saved through faith not as a result of works lest no man should boast because i think that's the key right there you can't say look what i did haughty me now i'm getting into heaven you know kind of like what mm -hmm. the pharisees and others would do um but that's hard for people to understand is that once you commit yourself to Jesus, once you take faith, you're saved immediately, just like that thief on the cross. Yeah, and I think that has historically been something, Son, that that has uh, created um, some real uh, tension between uh, Catholic and Protestant uh, approaches, because 
what what the Reformation was was very clear about, and what the Bible was very clear about, is is that um, you you are justified on the front end of your relationship with God. And I think this has been a challenge uh, for the Catholic Church to wrap their mind around that, in part because I, I think they they don't want to just have people um, who are just, you know, kind of claiming to believe and then, you know, telling them that they're saved and then, then they go live however they want to live. But, but, but with that sort of fear, uh, what it doesn't take into account is that the Bible already addresses that type of situation. I mean, Paul talks about, you know, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Um, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So, so the Bible is very clear that, that if a person is living for sin, uh, then that person is not a Christian. If they've made sin their priority. So, so there doesn't have to be a fear. Well, we can't tell people, you know, they're already justified or they might become lax or this or that. Well, you know what? Rather than having that man-made fear thrown in there, why don't we just do what the Bible says, which is teach the gospel, um, teach people that they're justified on the front end, and then feed people the word of God so that they can grow in their life of sanctification. But this has historically been the, really the, the key issue between um, just the official position of the Catholic Church and then what, um, what Protestant theology uh, really um, awakened to, and, and that is it, it awakened to the message of the Bible, the message of, of, of Paul uh, there uh, as he was led by the Holy Spirit to, to write, you know, Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. And, you know, for example, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And, and this has always been, for the past 500 years, this has been the central issue that if this issue um, could be resolved between uh, Catholics and Protestants, it would go a very, very long way in helping both groups to be able to celebrate with one another, hey, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not two different religions. And, and, and while that may not be the official uh, position today that it's two, uh, uh, or at least the, the popular idea is not that there's there's two different religions. You know, both are considered to be part of the, the Christian church. Um, the, the fact remains that um, it, it's critical that we address the issue of justification, uh, be, because if an organization is is teaching that you're saved in part by your works, then that's not the gospel. Now, if on the other hand, you know, a, a church is teaching that um, every Christian will do good works, well, that's biblical. Um, if a church is teaching faith without works is dead, that's biblical. If a church is teaching that if you just live for sin, no matter what your profession may be, if you're just living for sin and that's, you know, your, your heart's aim, then you're lost. You're on the way to hell, not to heaven. That's biblical. But what's not biblical is, is to tell people that you're not really justified, even though you've confessed you know, your sin and you've professed faith in Jesus, you've, you, you've accepted him, you've trusted him, but you're not really saved. Uh, until you do some more things. That's the key. And that's why I wrote the article, a proposal for Catholics and Protestants encouraging people, go to your pastor, go to your priest, you know, present these three points about John 3.16 and James 2.26 and the thief on the cross. And, and if, you know, if we have, let's say, an individual priest, an individual pastor who both agree with that and, and, and believe that, that uh, man is justified on the front end, um, of his relationship with God, then we're, we're really talking about, um, you know, two brothers in Christ there. We're talking about two individuals who are united in, in the gospel. But if, if one of them um, teaches that justification is progressive, that justification is not instantaneous, but, but rather it's a process, um, well, then that's a huge problem because that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, and, and here's one other thing too, Son. There, there, you know, there's a verse in James that often gets quoted, um, you know, and, and, and James, uh, you know, make, makes reference where he says, well, you know, uh, see, by doing this, you, you, man isn't justified by faith alone, but his, by his works. Well, you have to interpret that in the light of all of Scripture, 
Um, you can't just pull out that verse and all of a sudden um, just unravel everything in Romans, everything in Galatians, everything in Ephesians. Um, this is why Martin Luther had a real problem with the book of James, because because um, that statement, for example, uh, has been used by many to try to say, well, look, you're not just justified by faith. But it can't mean that. And I'll tell you why, Son, because you can't just cherry pick one verse and say, well, even though it contradicts, you know, the 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 ninety nine percent of verses that say we're justified by faith alone, um, I'm going to pull out this verse and, and 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 claim that I know what it means when when actually it has to be interpreted in the context. And really what James is saying is that is from from his perspective, what he was saying is, we'll see. Um, every believer is going to do good works. Remember, James is the one who said faith without works is dead. So he was pushing works, pu- pushing works. Not that that was wrong to do, but it has to be interpreted in light of all of Scripture. Because let's face it, you can't be saved by by grace alone through faith. And on one hand, and then also saved by works. So one of those approaches is right and one is wrong. Now, somebody, I suppose, could argue that both are wrong. You know, you probably have some atheists who'd say, well, both are wrong. Well, you know, if that's your choice, if, if that's the way you want to go, uh, then, you know, that's your choice. But, but in terms of those two options, um, they are contradictory. And, and so one, so, so if you're going to look at the biblical weight, and if 98% of the verses that deal with justification say we're saved by faith alone, and then James throws in this verse that seems to contradict that. Now, let's not forget, Son, there are other verses in the Bible that might seem to contradict something else in the Bible, but you have to take it in context. You have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. It's like if, if two people were dating and somebody wrote a love letter to their to their fiancé, and, and it was a beautiful letter, but there was one line in there that, that was open to misinterpretation. It was almost like it wasn't sounding very loving. It wasn't sounding consistent with the rest of the letter. Um, the person reading it would have to be careful. Don't read too much into that. That's a challenging sentence that your fiance wrote. But but take the 98% that is so clear and, and don't let yourself um, be duped into, don't dupe yourself into thinking, well, see, uh, he doesn't really love me or she doesn't really love me or she wouldn't have written this. Likewise, you can't pull one verse out of James and say, well, look, we're not really justified by faith alone. Look at what James said here. Um, you, you, you simply cannot do that. And it's not smart to do that because do, do you really think that, that God is going to put um, one verse in there that's going to present a, a, tr- a truth that contradicts, um, you know, the, the message God wants us to have? It's not going to happen. Now, I'll, I'll grant you that that is a, it's a difficult passage be, because it's one of those that if you try to interpret it in isolation, you could come up with a workspace system. But, but that's not how the Bible was given. Uh, these 66 books were given uh, over a period of 1,500 years um, by, by 40 different authors and um, you cannot just cherry pick a verse and create a doctrine because if you do, um, you will lead yourself astray. And, 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 and I'm just thankful, Son, that God made it so clear in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and the rest of the New Testament. I mean, my goodness, what did our Savior say in John 11, 25 and 26? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And, and, and so the last thing I'll say on this point is that then what some groups have, have sought to do is they, they, they've sought to redefine what it means to believe. They've sought to redefine what it means to have faith. But there's a big problem with that. Faith means trust. Faith doesn't mean you work at this, you work at that. That's the fruit of faith. But what some of you know what some folks have done in their zeal is they say, well, no, what faith really means. Yeah, I guess we're saved by faith. But here's what faith is: faith isn't just talk. Faith is what you do. And biblical faith is a trust through which your soul is converted um, as the thief on the cross was converted there on the spot. So it is, it is very, very dangerous and unbiblical to try to redefine faith just to fit some works righteous doctrine of salvation that is not found in the Bible. It gets no one's soul to heaven. And, and this really is what the Protestant Reformation was largely about. But, but I'm hopeful today that, that, that many Catholics and many Protestants would be able, and many priests and many pastors would be able to affirm those three points and um, so let's wait and see. When, when people talk to their priests, you know, some priests will get it, some won't. Some pastors will get it, some won't. Um, let, let, let's, let, let's let them speak for themselves, and, um, and we'll pray that, that God opens up many hearts to the gospel.
You know, Dan, as we sit here and we talk about, you know, kind of some differences with with Catholics and Protestants based from the Reformation, where it all started, where we started to kind of have a little bit of a, a drift and divide in some things as far as the theology of those uh, two schools of religion go. The other thing that is a little bit more tangible, I guess you can say, are some of the so-called sacraments. Okay, I know, for example, in the you know Protestant Church, you know, there's some differences between how you would, uh, you know, partake in communion. You know, some there's like a a, uh, a well, it's COVID, I guess it's not so much, but there used to be like the single cup, and then others would have the little individual ones, and then you know others would have um, a bread, and some have like the the you know wafer that you buy from the store you know so there's all different kind of means even even some of the beliefs like you write that there was in i think it was the um in one of the i think it might have been the original article that you wrote about the what ifs of protestantism how you had you know when you're looking at something like communion you look at john six fifty four. unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink of his blood you have no life in you. And so then you had, you know, Luther and this other guy kind of going back and forth as to, you know, what the, the true meaning of that is. And then, you know, I know some people I've been in churches where they say when you take the grape juice, now it actually becomes the, the blood of, of Jesus as you consume it. And then as you have the little wafer, it actually becomes the flesh. And then others are like, no, this is just a representation of it. You know, so in the churches, you have that. You have baptism, you know, some believe infant baptism, some believe adult baptism. And so you have these differences in, in, um, in theological beliefs when it comes to some of the so-called sacraments, if we can use that term for this conversation. But then you look at the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church, they've got um, some practices that are just kind of standalone practices that only the Catholic Church that I'm aware of participate in. So for example, when you talk about doing the rosary and the and like praying to Mary, you know, that's something that's specifically Catholic. And so as we have these questions and as we look at the two different, you know, Protestantism and Catholicism, you know, where does the the whole idea of prayer come in? Because you know, every every religion has prayer, some sort of prayer, whether it's Muslim, you know, praying, uh, Jews praying, Christians, Protestants praying, Catholics praying. And so you got these different, uh, you know, so prayer is very prominent and different methods of prayer. And that's probably a whole conversation by itself. But when you look at Mary, Mary's very prominent in the Catholic church and along with the saints. Where, where does that fit in as far as, you know, people praying to Mary, doing the rosary? A lot of times, you know, you'll find people in their final breaths doing the rosary. Um, what significance, if any, is there in the rosary and praying to somebody other than, you know, Jesus or praying other to somebody other than God. You know, son, this of course is a very uh, significant difference between, you know, Catholic theology and Protestant theology. Um, I, I would be hopeful that as an individual really just soaks in the gospel message and in the assurance of their salvation through faith in Christ, I would be very hopeful because I think church experience, you know, church history has shown this is, is that some of those things then tend to fall by the wayside. Um, you know, of course, in, in the, the Protestant uh, theology, um, you, you, and as, as throughout scripture for the last, you know, 2000 years, you, you don't find, um, you know, believers, uh, you know, other than those who are being taught to do that, you, you, you don't find believers, you know, praying to, uh, to Mary or to other saints. And, and, and so this is one of those things, like I say, that I, I think, um, develops when, um, when people are not taught how to be sure of, of salvation. I'll give you an example. When I was, um, when I was at the seminary, uh, in St. Louis, I remember there was a, uh, they had a, oh, just a bunch of different, uh, religious periodicals and other periodicals on one of the shelves and just part of the resources for seminary students. And, uh, there was a, a Catholic magazine, and um, I, I remember uh, on the cover, there, was, uh, there were flames and there was this title, Will You Be in the Hot Seat on Judgment Day? Now, now that is certainly a, a biblical theme. Uh, you know, we see that in the New Testament uh, in terms of, um, you know, addressing the reality of both heaven and also hell. But, but what we don't find um, Paul doing, for example, with, with, the, with the churches, with the Christians. We don't find Paul 
leaving people in a, in a place of, of, of just um, question about their salvation. Uh, in other words, Paul addresses those who are deliberately sinning, and he makes no bones about it that they're on the path to hell and they need to repent. So, so they don't have to wonder, will you be on the hot seat? I mean, Paul, Paul would basically have said to them, you're on the hot seat. You need to get off the hot seat. You need to repent and believe. Now, on the other hand, to the Christians, um, that's also not a question that, that, that we find in, in the New Testament being used to instruct Christians, you know, causing them to wonder, well, I don't know, will, will, will you be on the hot seat? Um, you know, really causing them to doubt. That just simply isn't the way the, the, the New Testament um, was given to us, or it was written. The way that, that Christians grow is when they have the assurance of their salvation, um, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're seeking to live for the Lord. Um, I think you said this earlier, I think, Son, you know, because you've been saved, not in order to be saved. And, and But the whole point with that article seemed to be, let's see if we can squeeze a little more juice out of the orange here. Let's kind of leave people in a state of, of uh, suspension here where they don't really know. And, and, and I think w- when churches do that, Son, it's a good indicator that they really need to um, they really need to come to terms with the gospel because it's not the gospel to leave people wondering, will you be on the hot seat? The gospel says what John three sixteen says. And that's why that's the first point in this, in this article, these three questions for, you know, Catholics and Protestants, the, the, the first, John three sixteen says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Um, nothing there about will you be in the hot seat, just the opposite. Believe in Christ as your Savior, and you will be in heaven. And and, and so um, I, I think that when when folks are, are turning to uh, folks who, who, who've died and, and have not come back to life, only the Lord did that, but when they're turning to those folks and they're praying to them, be it Mary, be it one of the saints, um, I think there's a deeper issue going on that can correct that obsession and that, and that tangent that they've gone off on. Um, and, and what corrects that is the gospel. Um, and so whether a person is a Catholic, whether a person is a Protestant, whether a person doesn't have either background or, or any affiliation, um, the way to know that heaven is your home is to accept the gospel the way the thief on the cross did. And, and his faith was alive. This is one of the things I think where the Catholic Church has really struggled um, be, be, because it's almost like they, they don't at times seem to want to accept just a person's confession of faith to say their faith alive. It's almost like you have to prove it to me. You know, almost like in, in a way the spouse would say, well, I know you say you love me. Um, I, I know that we just walked down the aisle and we you know, committed our lives in marriage. But you really, you, every day, you got to prove to me, otherwise I'm not really sure you love me. Um, that sort of conditional kind of acceptance, really, that's not the way that believers um, were, were being taught the Word of God in the New Testament. That's not the way Paul did that. That's not the way the Lord did that. Um, so I think Catholics and Protestants um, can, can, um, can both learn a lot from Scripture that can help them to not have to rely on things like praying to Mary or praying to, um, to others. And, and again, I, I, I think when people do that, so it's almost like those in Galatia, you know, uh, when, when they were relying on their works, Paul says, who has bewitched you? Um, they were relying on circumcision. They were falling back into that because the Judaizers had, had, had uh, kind of snuck in there to their group and was, they were teaching them, you, you got to be circumcised. You're not saved. And that was false doctrine. Now, likewise, I think if a person, let's just say a person was taught to pray to, you know, uh, to Joseph, let's say, or let's say a person was being taught to pray to uh, Abraham. Let's just set Mary aside for a minute. Um, you know, pray to, pray to Abraham, pray to Moses. Well, why? They didn't die and rise from the dead. They didn't die on the cross for your sins. Um, and, and what can happen then, son, when a person prays to the departed, um, you know, I wrote an article years ago, and I think the title was something like Praying to the Departed Conjures Up Fallen Angels. Um, what happens when we pray to the departed rather than to God, directly to God, is, is that we start to come under a, a spell of sorts that we, we only come out of when we stop praying to the dead. Um, we need to pray to the living. Um, and, and, and only, only God is to receive our prayer. That's very clear in scripture. So having said that, 
you know, if I was talking with someone, let's say, who was, you know, really into praying to, um, you know, someone who's died, be it Mary or whoever, um, uh, or maybe they were really starting to worship angels uh, the way that, you know, some in the Bible uh, started to do in some situations. Um, I would really there always try to, to, to bring a person to the gospel, to see, um, to see that, um, you know, you can know that heaven is your home. And, and when people place their trust in Christ, son, they're, they're going to be much less inclined to, um, to fall into one of these other things that are really, um, they're not helpful to a person's spiritual life. And, and even though there are so many uh, devout, you know, Catholics, so many devout Protestants, um, I think there are so many in both groups that have not maybe just been given a few of the basics of the gospel, a few of the basics of the Bible. It's not about their denomination. It's not about, well, I'm Protestant or I'm Catholic. You know, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with the gospel? And, and, and when people, when they focus on the gospel, um, I don't find that when people do that, they're inclined to pray to the departed. You know, they're, they're wanting to pray directly to God himself. Well, I think the other thing that when Martin Luther was coming to his, you know, realization of what the Catholic Church was about and putting those 95 theses on the church, one of them was had to do with direct access to God, realizing that he no longer had to go to the priest, never had to or realize he didn't have to go through confession and go through other people to get to God. He could go directly to God himself, and thus that would remove the need for someone like praying to Mary, doing the rosary, going to confession, and other things like that, because he had direct access to God. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, when I look at things sometimes, I like to look at it through a, a perspective of logic and reason. And if we even take somebody like Mary or take, you know, any other things that people will pray to, you know, you look at the Bible and all the idols that they had. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to think that somebody would want to pray to something that might be like an inanimate object or, you know, they put a lot of people put prayers to Mother Earth, like that's going to do anything or mean anything. And so if you're going to be offering up a prayer and want action, want change, you think that it would, you would want that prayer to go somewhere that logically and reasonably would give you an opportunity to ha have change. And it just doesn't seem that the, you know, praying to a, a saint or somebody who has died, um, unless, yeah. cause you know, yeah. Jesus rose again, so he's not dead. Um, it just mm -hmm. seems like some of that doesn't just make, doesn't make sense. You know, you're, you're praying to, to just something that's like not there. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think what happens, Son, is that many times, you know, some very devout people who who um you know seem to really want to do what God wants them to do, um, they have been led down a path to to engage in certain spiritual practices that are not going to um give them the assurance of salvation. Um, because, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Okay. Um, and, and there are, there are many people that, uh, that, that, that do this. Um, you know, they, they, they convince themselves that, you know, there's no way, you know, salvation could be free. And so I know they talk about faith and faith and just faith, but we all know what faith really is. And then, like I said before, then you start to redefine faith as not only trust in the Lord, but also your works. Well, the minute you do that, you have stepped into uh, Satan's noose or, 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 or had the noose placed around you, I guess. Um, what you're doing then is you're falling into th that trap. Many, many people in their zeal, son, have missed out on the kingdom of God. You know, Saul of Tarsus was in danger of doing that. The Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, was the most devout, zealous Jew almost on the planet. Uh, who went around persecuting Christians, hauling them off to prison. You know, he was there cheering when the first Christian martyr, you know, Stephen, was stoned. Um, he was very zealous. And, and I think there are many Catholics and many Protestants who are very zealous. But if you're not zealous for the gospel, you can start to become zealous for, you know, praying to the departed. You can start to become zealous about, well, everybody's just got to do it, you know, my way and only my way. I mean, you know, we, we find this sometimes in Protestant circles, say, for example, with communion or with baptism. Uh, I, I think there are plenty of Protestants who um, need to lighten up a little bit 
and and realize that there are other Christians who um, who approach. Uh, baptism a little bit differently than they do, a little bit differently than the Lord's Supper. You know, you, you referred to John 6 a little while ago, son, and, you know, uh, a recent article, uh, maybe the, the most recent article before the one here on on uh, a proposal uh, for Catholics and Protestants, the one before that, I think uh, it, it was it was titled Consuming Christ's Flesh and Blood. And I dealt with, with John 6, and I would invite anybody to go and check that out because it, there's a lot of stuff in there that's important to understand about John six and what it is and what it isn't. And, but, but, but some people with their Lord's uh, supper um, practice, for example, they get, they get so focused in that it can only be our interpretation of it. And, and so I think there's plenty of room for Protestants, plenty of room for Catholics to take a step back and say, now I know maybe, you know, the official position of my church on, on, on Mary or on the Lord's supper or on, on baptism uh, is, this, but you know what, son? Um, I don't believe that any any Christian couple who is, is being led by the Lord to do either, let's say, uh, a child dedication or a child baptism. I mean, neither one of those families are sinning. Um, and I know that sometimes, and I know both in Catholic circles and Protestant circles, you know, you've got infant baptism in both Catholic and Protestant. You've got a lot of, you know, this child dedication, a lot of Protestant circles. But the, but the bottom line is, it's up to those Christian parents to prayerfully um, to make that decision. I mean, there have been some very big names in the history of the Christian church who supported uh, and promoted infant baptism. I mean, some of the, you know, people that were used in some of the great revivals of America. Uh, now, um, many Christians don't come to that conviction. Uh, they don't share, you know, Luther and Calvin and Wesley's conviction, you know, and, and, uh, and Whitfield's uh, conviction and, and, and others who, um, who, who believed in that. But, but this is where I'm saying, son, there has to be room for people to, on this secondary issue, and that's what it is, it's a secondary issue. It's not essential for salvation, whether you believe in and support uh, infant baptism or infant dedication. Um, that's not going to keep you out of heaven. Um, what you believe about the Lord's Supper or about the bread and the wine, um, that's not going to keep you out of heaven. Um, I mean, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, you know, for example, you know, Paul's addressing their sin of not recognizing the body of believers. Um, that's very, very clear in the text. If you go, and we could sometime be interesting to go through that in a way the whole podcast. Um, but that's not what Paul was addressing. Their their um, you know their particular understanding of a very highly you know nuanced. Um, explanation of, of the communion elements. I mean, some, some churches have a very highly um, technical, complex understanding of how does the bread and wine relate to the, the body and blood of Christ. But I'll tell you, you know, if I had time to sit down with a person, I, I would be able to show them that, you know, what, what the, what the, important thing is in that text what's going on and and you know what what luther and zwingli debated 500 years ago son regarding those the, the very complex issue of of the bread and the wine and the body and the blood that was not even on the radar of what Paul was addressing there in the early church there in Corinth, where they had gone off the rails in their uh, agape feast, their love feast. They would have like a potluck dinner before they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. And, and some of them, they weren't waiting. The, the, ones, the rich folks were not waiting for um, the others. They were charging ahead. Some were getting drunk. Other people weren't getting food, you know, because there was no order to it and that they weren't caring for the, you know, the poorer folks among them who couldn't maybe bring the, you know, the, the, the wine or the food or whatever the others were bringing. Uh, so some were getting drunk and, and so forth, but during the potluck dinner, during the love feast. Um, but, but, but the whole point there is that they were sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Then when they celebrated the Lord's supper after the potluck dinner, that's what first Corinthians is dealing with. It's not dealing with what Luther and Zwingli dealt with, you know, 500 years ago, but, but that's just one way in which son, uh, you know, some Protestant churches or even Catholic, I mean, they can start to make such a, they, they can raise something up so high that, well, if you don't believe exactly, Exactly what we believe about, for example, the communion elements. Well, you can't even have communion. We're not even going to commune with you. You, you might be a fellow Christian. Um, you might love the Lord. You might hate sin. You might believe that Jesus is really present here in this meal. But if you don't believe specifically what we're saying, 
that, that somehow that, that Jesus is in the bread and Jesus is in the wine, that, that then somehow you're not recognizing, um, you know, the body of the Lord. And that's not at all what First Corinthians 11 is teaching. And yet it, that's been used uh, to keep people away from uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I'll tell you, Simon, especially in rural communities. I mean, the number of families and heartache, the pain that's caused in, in hundreds, probably thousands of Lutheran churches be, be, because uh, of how many, you know, seminary students who were taught that that's the way you're supposed to do it. And they go into a congregation and maybe there's going to be a, a, a baptism or a confirmation or something. And they've got like 30 relatives, you know, let's say, you know, many of them love the Lord, but maybe they're Presbyterian or they're from a different Lutheran denomination or whatever it might be. And, and they're, and they're essentially told you're not welcome at the Lord's table because you're not part of our denomination. You don't believe what we believe here. And so they're, they're redefining biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship is in the blood of Jesus. Um, you and I, have more in common with any believer in Jesus than any denominational person, Catholic or Protestant, if they're not a believer. And, and so I just go into all that simply to say, Son, that there are plenty of issues within both Catholic and Protestant churches that um, they, they get away from, they get away from the heart of the gospel. And, 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 and whether it's praying to deceased people, whether it's um, obsessing about, you know, a complex uh, description of the communion elements that the Bible does not require as some legalistic mandate before you can celebrate the Lord's Supper in a church. I mean, come on. When Jesus instituted that meal song, I mean, he was, he was very close to suffering agony on the cross and shedding his body and his blood. And do you think that when Jesus instituted his, uh, this holy meal, do you think he was concerned, son, that, that his believers, uh, that his disciples, I should say, that, that, that they had a technical understanding of exactly how the bread and his actual body, how they relate to one another in that meal, how his actual blood and that wine relate to one another? I mean, some say it's a symbol, some believers, other believers say, you know, like many in the Lutheran church that the body and blood is in with and under the bread and wine. But I'm here to say, son, that was an issue that Luther and Zwingli got into 500 years ago. It's an issue that many Christians have divided over, unfortunately. And it's like, meanwhile, what are we forgetting? We're forgetting the one who suffered and died on the cross for our sins. He said about this meal, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't say, you know, make sure that everybody, you know, has this just this technical understanding of how my body and how, how, how the bread interact with one another. And let me tell you, son, who can fully explain that, but the Lord who really knows how to fully explain that. So it's just unfortunate that in both Protestant and Catholic circles, you know, I, I think Satan works overtime to try to to get people all worked up over some issues that don't need to be major issues at all. And and that's what I think then um, can, can really do a lot more harm than good. Yeah, I think another area, Dan, that causes problems is that we try to take the Bible, which is really a spiritual level, even though it's a tangible thing here, you know, it's a spiritual level uh, resource. And what we try to do is we try to make it fit into this natural world instead of us taking ourselves out of the natural world and being transformed by what the Bible says. And so it's like people try to take the Bible, for example, here's maybe this clarifies my point a little bit more. People try to take the Bible and Bible verses to try to justify how they're living here on earth. Instead of going to the Bible and taking the Bible verses to transform their lives so that they're ready for eternity in heaven. And I think that yes. creates a lot of problems, too, when people look at it. And the other thing, too, is I think people have this um, idea or this need or necessity, whatever you want to call it, to have to know all the answers. You know, inquiring minds want to know. We want to know. So we have to know. So if we don't know, we're going to fill in the blanks with stuff and just assume that this is what it is, or that's what it is. And sometimes, you know, even the Bible specifically says that there's things that we're just not going to be able to understand at this level. And so instead of just recognizing that, you know, we don't really know, but we're going to follow and believe anyways and have faith, we want to make up answers, and then that confuses things and gets people going down the wrong path. And so I think when people read the Bible and look at the Bible, you got to take in consideration that, one, it's the Word of God. Two, we may not fully and completely comprehend everything 
but there's a whole lot in there that we can fully comprehend and understand that right. will prepare us right. for life yes. with Christ in eternity in heaven. Yeah, that, that that's absolutely right, Simon. We need we need to major on the majors. We we need to make sure that people are grounded in the gospel and in justification. Um, that that tends to clear up so many things uh, because that is the foundation. Without that, you don't have anything. You don't have a relationship with God. You don't have even the start of sanctification. I mean, I mean, if a person reads Romans, if they read these New Testament epistles, I mean, they'll see why Paul, you know, in in many of his epistles, why he started out in those early chapters just going over the gospel because that's the foundation of it all. And then he would get into, um, you know, rules for holy living, you know, in the area of, of, of the sanctified life. Um, I mean, yes, I mean, all the one and others of the New Testament are important. Love one another, serve one another, honor one another above yourself, um, be devoted to one another, brotherly love. I mean, these are all critical. But unless you get the foundation right, Unless you're standing on the gospel, then it's all for naught, and and you 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 can lose it all. You you can lose your soul, even though you may have been very zealous, which which is what the apostle Paul um, w- would have done, and unless he had been converted by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, all of his zeal would have amounted to nothing. All of his zeal would have would have not uh, gained him uh, heaven, even for a minute. Uh, but it was only, and just kind of like with Martin Luther, you know I mean? Look at, look at how, um, how religious Martin Luther was and, and all the strivings that he was putting himself through to try to be right with God. Uh, just like, you know, Saul of Tarsus, you know, uh, 1500 years earlier. So, so this is where we need to really bring people, um, to, to the gospel. And then once a person has that, um, assurance of salvation, then we can start to build on that, the house of sanctification, and, and God's word is there to, uh, to help us to grow. But, but, you know, I can't tell you how many people, Son, um, they, and Satan is really working through this, but how many people, they, they get this idea in their head that, well, um, yeah, I mean, I know faith is important, but, but, but faith is more than just believing. Um, faith is doing. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, Son, and that is completely false. Um, faith is not doing, but I will say this, every time there is genuine faith, there will be doing it's the fruit of faith. And, and that is no minor point that is at the crux of it all. Because if you, if you accept the false teaching that faith is both believing and doing, then you're going to base your salvation on your definition of faith. You're going to base your salvation uh, not only on on believing in Jesus, but also on what you do. Rather than, Son, um, basing your salvation completely on, on what Jesus did, um, and then seeking to live for him and, and the doing part is because we, we've been saved. You know, it's been said that every other religion uh, is a religion of do. Christianity is the only religion of done. So we, we really can't go back to that point too much because it's just incredible how, how many, many people um, are being duped by that false message. Um, they're, 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 they're being, they're, they're being taught that, um, that, that, you know, it's what they do that, that, that really justifies them before God. And, and, and what they need to be taught, Son, is what you do is part of um, being sanctified before God, not justified, sanctified before God. And, and so, in in Titus, for example, it says the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's part of sanctification. But but justification is the work that Jesus finished for us on the cross. And everything we've talked about today, son, it all is connected to that. I mean, you know, if people are, are led to pray to deceased folks, um, you know, what you're going to find is somebody who's not grounded in the gospel. If, if, if somebody is um, going off on some theological tangent and, and obsessing over that, um, you're, you're going to generally find somebody who's either not grounded in the gospel or they're not making enough of the gospel because that's why they're getting all enamored with their little particular interpretation that they feel, well, everybody's got to do it my way. Even though there may be many Christians in the world who don't believe it that way, it's a secondary issue. It's not hurting their salvation. They don't agree with you on that. You don't agree with them. But because you harp on that constantly and you make that just a point of division between you and Christians, you're really interrupting the fellowship that God wants you to have as brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's kind of like in a family, son, if you've got siblings 
And they're always squabbling over just these, you know, unimportant things that, as we can do as human beings, rather than celebrating what we have in common. I mean, my goodness, we're we're related by blood. We are we are siblings. We're in the same family. Let's let's just let's just um, live and accept one another and not judge one another and not feel that everybody has to do it my way. But that's what we see going on, you know, in the New Testament because you know we're human beings, son, and it goes on today as well. And 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 people will 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 uh, you know. Uh, uh, they'll, they'll get all disturbed by what somebody's doing, maybe in their church or not doing, or in some other church. And, and we just need to keep our eyes on Jesus and, and help one another grow. We, we all got so much to learn. None of us have all the answers. The only answers we have are from the word. Uh, none of us have any, an ounce of, of uh, any reason why we should have any legitimate pride in ourselves. It's only the Lord. Uh, but we need to be humble before one another. We also need to recognize, son, just like in a family, we're not going to agree on everything. But if we don't agree on the essentials, uh, and, and I will say, going back to our original topic, son, I mean, Catholics and Protestants agree that God is three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, so um, that's a huge step. That's a critical doctrine. Um, Christians and Catholics do not agree, for example, with the Mormon definition or the, the Jehovah's Witness definition. They deny the doctrine of the Trinity. You cannot deny the doctrine of the Trinity and be a, a Christian group, and that's why no Christian organization um, recognizes those as Christian, not because they're unkind people they're not but but because if you reject the trinity you're rejecting the god of the universe um uh so so we have that in common protestants and catholics protestants and catholics are also have in common that um if you just live for sin uh, if you make that your God, then you're lost. You're not. You're not a. You're not a Christian. So Catholics and Protestants have that in common. Um, Catholics and, and and Protestants have um, uh, quite a few things in common. You know, uh, not not the least of which is a is a hatred for the act of abortion. Um, now that's a that's a commonality. But in in terms of doctrine, um, there there are some real uh, similarities. Uh, but 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 what it comes down to is. Are we joined at the hip um, in the gospel? And that's where a person, a, a Catholic, should ask their priest. Protestant should ask their pastor. Um, and and you know, are we two different religions, or are we joined at the hip? And and that's up to um, that's up to the priest and the pastors really to to answer. Um, you know, regardless of what happened 500 years ago, regardless of, of you know selling indulgences, and I would even say, son. Um, setting aside for a moment the secondary doctrines, which, you know, though, I'm not saying they're unimportant. I'm not saying things like, like praying to the, the dead and other things are unimportant um, or differences on the Lord's Supper. I'm not saying they're unimportant. Um, but what I'm saying is um, we are brothers and sisters in Christ with every fellow believer. So it's important that we know whether we're, whether we are dealing with a believer or not, or whether we're dealing with someone in another religion, we are called to love everyone the same, you know, really, I mean, really we're to call, you know, love the family of believers even more. You know, the Bible says do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers, but, but we're to love everyone. But it, it is important. You know, I would say for a Catholic priest and a Protestant pastor, you know, are we, are we in the same family? And, and that's why I presented the three questions. Um, that's why I invited people to respond. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see over the months and years, son, how um, individual Catholics, individual Protestants answer those. Um, do we agree in John 3.16? Do we agree that James 2.26, faith without works is dead? Um, do we believe that, that God sent his son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life? And then maybe most importantly, do we believe that the thief on the cross was justified, saved, redeemed, born again, and forgiven there on the cross. And that's the point, Son, that um, really, um, I think, was at the heart of, of the break between Luther and the Catholic Church. I mean, there were many issues, but that was at the heart of it. How is man acceptable to God? And if, for example, a Catholic priest and a Protestant pastor could, could both come to see and believe and agree, yes, that thief on the cross, he was justified the moment he believed. Oh, and I guess that means other Christians are justified the moment they believe as well. Um, I mean, just think, son, what that could mean for Protestants and Catholics and all Christians who 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 subscribe to that. But it, it opens up a conversation, and that was the point of the article, inviting people to respond with your thoughts. 
Um, if, if, if anybody sees anything that's unbiblical about that, please uh, speak up. Um, you know, please speak up and point that out. And, and let's have a discussion about the Bible. Let's have a discussion about justification. I mean, we're talking here about the eternal well-being of ourselves and, and others and the souls of men and women and young people. So if we're not going to talk about that, I mean, that's the most important thing. Anything else we talk about is way below that in terms of importance. So, so, so let's hash this out. Uh, let's find out what the Bible says. Um, let's teach one another whatever we can learn from one another. And let's stand on the gospel because our Savior didn't die on the cross, son. So any of us could go out and try and earn our way to heaven and, and, and then end up missing it because we just we're, we're too proud to accept the free gift you know, that God's offering us. Yeah, that's it sometimes, Dan. It's sometimes a pride gets in the way from receiving God's blessings and his uh, gifts. Dan Delzell with us as we delve into this conversation, kind of piggybacking off the Reformation from our last conversation. And, Dan, we uh, thank you and appreciate your uh, comments, your insights, and we look forward to uh, many more conversations uh, as God allows. Well, I I sure do as well, son. Thank you again for just, uh, you know, allowing me to – be a part of this podcast with you today on such an exciting topic. And, and Hey, I'll, I'll look forward to our next visit. And for those of you listening, Hey, thanks for listening. You can find us on Podbean. You can also go to radiowarp.com and find us there. Radio W A R P radiowarp.com and find the, uh, sanctified reason podcast there. And also, uh, really any place that you listen to a podcast, just type in uh, sanctified reason and we pop up. So again, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend and until next time, God bless.